Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is a special guest, Simone Policano. Simone is one of the co-founders of an organization called Invisible Hands. They're a nonprofit volunteer group that's been delivering groceries and other essential items to the elderly, the disabled, and vulnerable populations since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic this spring. They've been profiled in a number of local and national news outlets, and they were recently selected for one of the Manhattan Institute's annual Civil Society Awards, a $25,000 prize given to them and four other organizations, which you've heard uh, us talk about on this show before. As uh, America is enduring a second wave of the virus, uh, we thought that this would be a good time to get the perspective of someone who's been helping organize relief efforts in our area, the type we've been seeing taking place across the country. Simone, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Why don't you, for starters, tell us uh, how you got involved with this uh, enterprise? And you've got uh, two co-founders, is that it? Yes. Um, Well, first of all, I'm very flattered to hear you call it an enterprise. Um, I mean, I think unlike most uh, nonprofit organizations, Invisible Hands started entirely by accident, which is, you know, I think not how it normally goes. Um, But, you know, the the way it all started was I'm a native New Yorker, you know, born and raised, been here for 26 years. And um, I was walking home. This was, you know, March God, I want to say 12th or something. Um, So we were, New York was starting to feel a little scary, but it wasn't, you know, we weren't in like full lockdown mode yet. Um, And I was walking home from the subway and I passed my local supermarket. And I remember seeing a lot of elderly folks going in and out. And I just viscerally like that felt wrong. It felt like it wasn't safe for them. And I remember thinking, you know, God, I wish I could just offer to, you know, go in for them and have them tell me what they want and I can just grab it for them so they can, you know, stay outside or even better yet, stay home. And I I sort of had this thought and then I got home and I posted on Facebook and I just asked, you know, my friends, like, does anybody know of a way that a young, healthy, able-bodied person could volunteer to deliver groceries to people who are more at risk to COVID? And, you know, I was thinking specifically the elderly and the immunocompromised. Um, And I got, you know, a bunch of responses from my, my friends and my colleagues are saying, you know, I don't know of something like this. I don't know of an organization like this, but I would love to help if you find something. So I kind of just started collecting names of people who might be interested and started Googling. And I didn't really see anything like this. And um, a friend of mine, Liam, he's one of my um, good friends, younger brothers. I've known him for a long time. Liam Elkind, who went on to be one of my my co-founders with me, um, he called me and he had seen my Facebook status. And he said, you know, uh, I, I love this idea. Like, what are you thinking? And we just kind of put our heads together and we said, you know, what if we made something like what if we figured out how to be this vehicle for folks? Um, so we made a website, you know, uh, invisiblehandsdeliver.com. It's now .org because it's been a, a crazy ride. Um, but we put up a website and like two days later, we got our first delivery request. And then, you know, pretty quickly after the site was launched, um, it started getting some online traction. And we were contacted by a girl named Keely Chait, who joined us um, as a third co-founder sort of right at the get and helped us expand it. And it, you know, we started getting delivery requests from around the city and we were excited that we were going to 
build this kind of small community effort. And then I think it was like a Sunday night or something. We, you know, went to bed and we're going to regroup in the morning. And we woke up to missed calls from Good Morning America, CNN, NPR. Like we, we had sort of been found as can happen with the internet. And the thing with the internet is once you've been found, you can't be unfound. So it very quickly, you know, became clear that this was going to have to operate on a level that was way past what we had expected, but it was so exciting. We were so grateful for, you know, all of the amazing support. And that's when it really kind of blew up. And we over, you know, in that first wave, we amassed over 10,000 volunteers. And that was people in New York. That was people around the country, around the world. I mean, we had people helping remotely from all over and just people who loved the idea. And I think, I think we're really looking for a way to help. Like, I, I think that we provided an opportunity for people who are feeling incredibly helpless. And, um, you know, we got all this amazing support and we got like pro bono legal counsel and all this stuff started happening really quickly. And it just kind of took on a life of its own from there. That's fantastic. Uh, so so uh, you you serve uh, the New York area, uh, New York City, but but um, are you helping people outside of the city? Yeah. So right now we serve um, New York and that's, you know, all five boroughs, Long Island, Westchester, um, also New Jersey and Philadelphia. Um, and we are about to expand to Hartford, Connecticut and Atlanta, Georgia as well. So we're getting some new chapters. up. And wow. Running, that's, so. that's amazing. And, and so what's the scale of it? How many people are you helping, say, on a given day? Well, so it's, you know, it's been really interesting to kind of track, like, as COVID has fluctuated, our work has also fluctuated. Um, I mean, in the initial, like, crazy sprint of, you know, the first few weeks when everyone was was terrified. I mean, we had, like, hundreds and hundreds of uh, requests a day. And then, you know, it calmed down for a little bit because um, what what we were really responding to so much wasn't COVID as it was how overrun um, delivery systems were because at the time that we first started, you couldn't get like a fresh direct or an Instacart delivery for like two to three weeks. Like everything was, you know, it was impossible for people to get food. So we, you know, we were providing a service that um, the current existing systems were very kind of taxed and overrun. Those systems started to develop their own. Like, I mean, as the world started to adapt to COVID and it became clear this wasn't going to be like a two week long quarantine type thing. I think every, you know, sector of the world had to adapt to COVID and grocery stores started doing their own delivery options. And like, you know, it became, um, there was a crazy like three week period when three one one like New York City's helpline was referring people to us who called and they were like hi like I need food and they would they were referring people to us and we had just you know we're a bunch of kids who had put together a website because we just like created infrastructure I think before a lot of people did but then a lot of people you know created their own infrastructure um so our crazy crazy numbers started to go down but we've sort of been adapting we've like changed what we've been doing to adapt with as COVID is changing like as the um the people who you know you're run of the mill, kind of like neighborhood person requesting groceries, as those numbers started to go down, what we realized was that the long-term impacts of COVID that were going to last far beyond the disease itself was like the insane socioeconomic um, tragedies that COVID has caused and the food insecurity crisis in New York and the poverty crisis in New York and, you know, in Jersey and in Philly and these cities that we were helping in um, was made so much worse by COVID. So we started partnering with um, food pantries and food banks and mutual aid organizations to help use our volunteer base to bring food 
um, for, to people who can't afford their own groceries, because no matter you know how available a grocery delivery service is, if you can't afford your own groceries, you'll never be able to use Fresh, Fresh Direct. So we started we we sort of started shifting our model to looking towards people to, to the food insecure community, and then recently leading up to this presidential election when there was started to be concerns about, um, you know, was the USPS going to be incredibly overrun in our New York and New Jersey chapters? Um, we started offering absentee ballot delivery services. So we would have people who completed their absentee ballots. We would have our volunteers pick up their absentee ballots and deliver them to early voting places or ballot boxes. So we've kind of been, it's like, it's like this moving target of trying to figure out, we have these volunteers who are like excited and engaged and want to help? And how can we adapt as COVID adapts to figure out where the greatest need goes? So it's, it's, it's changed over these, you know, past nine, 10 months since we started. Sure. Um, you know, you mentioned Instacart. How does the service that you're providing differentiate itself just in terms of day-to-day operation from something like Instacart? Or is, or is the model kind of similar? Um, I think it's it's definitely more grassroots than that. You know, there's no corporate headquarters for Invisible Hands where we were running out of, you know, initially like four people's living rooms. Um, but I think uh, we, the way, I think the key component that is different is that it's a much more personal um, and emotional, like a connected, emotionally connected experience. I think that a biggest thing, the, the biggest thing that COVID has shown us is like, this is a virus that really has caused people to isolate, um, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of it from each other. And we really wanted to fight back against that. So it's a much more personalized experience. First of all, like they're all volunteers, right? So nobody's, you know, being paid to do the deliveries. Um, but the way it works is you request a delivery either on our website or also, and this is a key way that it's different, we have a call center. So for people who are not sort of technologically savvy and we serve a lot of elderly folks, so that's, you know, a lot of people, um, they can call the call center and always like speak to a, a you know, a real life person, um, which some of these apps, the delivery apps, you can't really do that. Um, sure. but so put in a delivery request um, through our website or through the call center, and then we match you up with a volunteer in your neighborhood who then reaches out to you directly. And so you form that one-on-one connection with your, with your volunteer and all of our deliveries are contactless. So it's like, leave it at the door. You know, they don't come into your apartment, obviously to be COVID safe, but we've had so many amazing stories of people who have been doing deliveries for, you know, the same elderly couple in their neighborhood since March or something like that. And they, you know, they'll sit outside the door and like have a conversation through the window or, you know, on the other side of the door, like there's really a, there's a, there's a social kind of emotional element of it that I think just by the nature of the way something like, you know, Fresh Direct or Instacart or whatever works, it's just it's just a different model. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, you mentioned the uh, the New York City 311 line. Have you had uh, much uh, interaction with uh, uh, city or state agencies in, in doing this uh, philanthropic work? I mean, somewhat, like, especially, and like, you know, when we started doing our, our absentee ballot initiative, um, you know, we had a lot of um, council uh, council people reaching out. You know, t- telling their constituents about our services, um, and we've we've done a lot of partnerships with you know, like I said, these these um, food banks and food pantries and stuff, but also just different organizations to you know do like days of service for um, like you know Kohler the the Kohler the, the company. Um, they did their day of service with us, so they got a bunch of their employees to um, do you know a bunch of food pantry deliveries for us, and like we've worked with the city, like we've 
we've worked with um, the city mostly through like in, in spreading the word. Um, and I think, you know, you, you have to remember that in the very beginning, everybody was so scared and confused and like unsure of what this was going to look like. So, you know, I think the the mayor's office and the governor's office had other things to do. And I mean, they needed to like come up with their own infrastructure for how the city was going to take care of itself and how they were going to take care of their constituents. So we were definitely on people's radars, but I think the biggest thing, you know, we would hear, we'd get phone calls from people putting in orders or, you know, on the website, they would indicate that they heard, I mean, it was so crazy. Like, you know, Bernie Sanders included us in his like mailing list of, of resources for folks. And we were tweeted by Biden and Ivanka Trump. And it was, I mean, there was so much, I think that we were such a positive story in a time that was so bleak that it really did get a lot of traction. And that's how, that's how we, you know, saw the numbers that that we saw, which was so amazing. Um, but everyone was very encouraging. I think that like anytime we would talk to um, anybody from the city or anything, it was like, you guys are doing amazing work. You guys have a system that really works, you know, A, how can we help you? But B, can we, you know, can we pass people along to you? Yeah, that's, uh, that's terrific. Um, how did the name Invisible Hands come about? <laughs> um, this is one of those weird things that you don't realize how big a decision something is until, you know, you cut to nine months later and you're running a nonprofit with the name. It, ha- it Literally in the middle of the night, like Liam and I were texting, kind of making plans for making the website and, you know, how this whole thing was going to work. And I don't know where it came from. I, I just, I, like, I think I was like in the shower or something. And I just thought I was like, oh my God, what if we call it Invisible Hands? Because the whole idea is that it's these sort of, hidden, unseen, un, you know, touched, like contactless helpers, um, kind of, you know, providing, providing the service. And it felt, you know, catchy and kind of in a positive way. And I texted it to him and he was like, I love that. I guess that's what we're going to be called. And then it, and here we are. (laughs) Now you and your, your founders, uh, um, you know, you've been at it going on nine months now, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I imagine you've, met some people who've really needed your help. And uh, I'm sure you must have uh, at least a few stories about people who are, you know, very appreciative of what you've been doing. I wonder if if there's any you might be willing to share with uh, our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can give you two quick ones. So um, one was from the earlier days. Um, we, when I, back when our, you know, call center was directing to my personal cell phone um, and I was the one who was kind of answering the phones. And uh, I talked to a woman who called and I was, you know, putting in her order and she lived on the Upper West Side where I grew up. She lived three blocks from where I had, you know, been born and raised. And I took her order request and we were talking about her grandkids and whatever. And I was about to hang up and she said, you know, I just want to let you know that today is my 94th birthday. And this was, you know, early April. Um, She's like, it's my 94th birthday. And I've been so scared and I've been so unsure of how I was going to get food and I can't go outside and blah, blah, blah. And this comfort and this feeling of safety and security and that there's somebody looking out for me, um, you know, and the fact that you guys are all doing this just out of the goodness of your hearts, like this is the best birthday present that anybody ever could have given me. And, you know, she started crying and I started crying and it was this whole thing. And then we got our um, volunteer who, you know, we matched with her to include um, like a rose and like a little cookie or something for for her birthday in with, in with her order. And I think it's just little things like that where um, – you know, it feels so dark and so bleak, but just to know that there is somebody there, I think was incredibly comforting. And we get as much out of it 
as they do, because I mean, I, I got to, you know, hear about this woman's experience. Like she was someone, she was 94. She lived three blocks from me, but I would never have met her otherwise. And our paths would never have crossed. Um, and that was, that was a really important one. And the other one of this one's a bit sad, but I think is really also kind of beautiful. Um, there was uh, a, a man who had been an, uh, an older man who had been, you know, using our service for, for months. And he had the same um, young volunteer as a 16 year old named Hunter who would do deliveries with, with his parents. And he had been delivering to Hunter. I mean, Hunter had been delivering to him every week and um, the, the friendliest, you know, sweetest, sweetest guy. And um, he ended up getting sick and he, in his, you know, in his last few weeks that he was receiving deliveries, he and Hunter would talk on either side of the door. They would just, they would just sit and have these kind of chats where it was this young 16 year old kid and this older, I think it was like high nineties guy just talking about his life and growing up and his childhood. And he ended up passing away and we received this amazing email from his daughter who said that he, you know, in his final days, he talked about how, um, getting to know this young teenager in the same city that he lived in, who he would never have met otherwise, and just getting to you know experience that kind of friendship, even though they never met, um, was one of like the most beautiful pieces of that chapter of his life. And I just, I mean, I, I just, I reread that all the time and just and cry because it's like you know you, it's such a little thing that moment of connection with someone but it's such a coveted thing right now. And it's something that is so, you know, especially for people who aren't leaving their homes and don't feel safe and feel really scared to, to feel like there's a person who is connected to you and checks in on you every week and brings you food. Like the fact that we were able to facilitate that for one person, let alone the thousands and thousands of deliveries we've done. It just, it's really amazing. Well, it's, it's very true that one of the benefits of philanthropic work is often um, not just the people who are being served, but also to those who are involved in the philanthropy, the volunteers. Uh, oh, your stories certainly uh, underscore that. Thanks very much, Simone. Don't forget to check out Invisible Hands. You can visit their website, invisiblehandsdeliver.org. And we've been talking with Simone Pelicano, one of the co-founders of the organization. You can find out more about their work and other organizations recognized at our 2020 Civil Society Awards by visiting civilsocietyawards.com. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. As always, if you've liked what you've heard on the podcast, please uh, give us ratings on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Simone, very much for joining us, and, and good luck with your work going forward. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.